Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rogers, and I'm the Digital Engagement Director here at Rolling Hills. We all get angry, right? We all experience situations or moments that make us mad or frustrated and make us react emotionally. God has designed us to be people with emotions and have the ability to express them, but He also calls us to be people of peace and joy. So when we do experience feelings of anger and frustration stemming from the sin of wrath, we need to learn to combat those with the truth found in God's Word. And that's what we're going to do in today's message. Thanks for being here today. one point during the video, I was like, how many more sips of my coffee can I take before it ends? Um, And then I realized, no, it's almost over. If if you're tracking with us, as Joel said, we're in the middle of a series called Refine. And it's the idea, following along with what historically have been mentioned and named as, as seven deadly sins in our lives. And so much of our lives are plagued by the idea of looking at all the things that are wrong and evil and disastrous about the world and, and turning an outward eye towards those things, to wanting to call out other people. You did this, you did this, you did this, you did this, you're guilty of this, you're guilty of this, you're guilty of this, you're guilty of this, when this is actually a call for us to look on the inside at the life of the church and the life of committed Christ followers, people who have said, yes, Jesus, I want to receive your forgiveness. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you with my life. I want my life to look like your own. I want to be with you for all eternity and and call myself because of your free gift of salvation, a Christ follower or a Christian. These are the things that have no part in the life of the committed believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, these are the things that will trip us up as we attempt to accomplish his mission in the world. So seven deadly sins. I'm stalling just a little bit because today is wrath and I'm struggling with it. Um, Not because I'm angry, but because I do get angry. And the first service, I kind of looked over at my family and I was like, okay, you guys are taking notes of all the things that I'm about to say that do not line up with my life. And I'm prepared to hear about it a little later. Maybe you guys don't need this one. Of all seven, this is not the thing that you struggle with. This is not the issue for you. So you can tune it out and just go to another passage of scripture in your Bible. Like maybe read Daniel in the lion's den today because it's a really great story. Or maybe just we're gearing up towards Easter. You can go read one of the gospel narratives about Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us because you don't need to hear words about anger. Those are just for me. In fact, I think that today the Lord invited me to study and prepare for this message just because these are the words that I needed to hear. Or maybe you want to tune in not because you need it, but because you know somebody who does, and you're going to make sure that you share the notes and the timeline and the manuscript with them later on this week. You'll be like, Pastor said on Sunday, you need to hear this. I have no idea where you come into a message about anger or about wrath, but it's a struggle. So when I was in college, um, undergrad at Appalachian State University, it was the conclusion of my sophomore year. Sophomore year was a really good year. It's the year that I, I met and became boyfriend-girlfriend with Susan. And, you know, now we've been, sell- we're almost at 22 years of marriage, and so I'm super excited about that. But at finals week, the end of the spring semester, 
I was studied and prepped and ready to go, and I showed up to my communication law final on some morning. I went into the classroom. I I looked around for an empty seat. I sat down, and I looked around at the people who were coming in and pulling out their notes and going over last-minute things and jotting things, and I I looked around. I was like, none of these people look familiar to me. (laughs) Did I? I mean, I know I skipped this class a few times, but did I really skip it so much that none of y'all look? And they were looking at me with the same expression. Then in walks Dr. Lee. He puts down his materials, and he starts to prepare for the test. He pulls it out and to administer it, and the only problem is I didn't have Dr. Lee. I was in the wrong room, on the wrong day, in the wrong seat. And so much of what we experience today um, can be a picture of what it means to be in the wrong place, um, occupying the wrong chair and what it looks like to be in the wrong spot and in the wrong frame of mind. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, it's in your notes as you follow along. It says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Now, some of your Bible translations are going to say, hey, whoever is slow to anger, whoever has a really long fuse, whoever has a really long on-ramp to getting to that point where they just break and they can no longer hold it back and they just erupt in anger. I did something this morning that I've never done before. I sat in the passenger seat on the way to church because my teenager with her learner's permit drove me here. It is a beautiful thing. I absolutely loved it. I kicked back with my giant cup of coffee. I scrolled through the message notes. I gave her minor details and instructions. The only thing I didn't do was get us out of the house 15 minutes earlier because it was going to take a whole half hour to drive here today because she has a really long on-ramp to speed. We were driving pretty slow. We've got a sticker on the back of the card that says, um, be patient, student driver, so that none of y'all get mad at us for going as slow as we do, because it's a long ramp to building up some speed. She likes it 30 miles per hour and under wherever she goes. (laughs) What's your on-ramp? How long is your fuse? How quickly do you get there? Some of us can go to the point of angry eruption in zero to 60, and some of you, it takes a really long time before somebody even knows that you're frustrated. Where are you today? Because scripture says, hey, this is the whole deal. We want to be blessed. We want to understand whoever is patient has a really long on-ramp. He has great understanding. He has a really long fuse. But one who is quick-tempered, the Bible says, displays folly. Some of your Bible translations just say exhibit foolishness. Basically, what this means in Scripture is somebody who hates wisdom right? Somebody who hates wisdom, who hates truth, who hates the right thing. It's the definition of what we would call stupidity. And my kids, if they were in the room right now, they'd be like, oh, daddy just said stupid. That's like a bad word at our house. Like we don't use it, but that's what it is. Definition of it is somebody who hates wisdom, somebody who doesn't like the right thing, somebody who hates what God's word says, somebody who's in the wrong room at the wrong time, in the wrong seat. It's been in your notes all of the weeks that you've tracked with us. We may list seven specific deadly individual sins, but ultimately our sin nature is what destroys us. We can list seven deadly sins all day long, but all of our sin is in fact deadly. Anything that you can name leads a person to death and eternal separation from God Almighty. And it's ultimately at the end of the day, not all the little list of things that we do wrong, not because those lists are ever little, because the things that we 
do wrong is a great growing list. It's not just a question about, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is that not a sin? Is this like close to sin, but not quite over the line of sin? Well, somebody says this is a sin, and somebody says that that's liberty, so where am I supposed to turn, and what can I believe? It's not the specificity of the sin that makes a difference. It's the nature that we bear as humans in a fallen world that says we are sinners. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, for I know I know that good itself does not dwell in me. We're all sinners. We're all separated from God because of that sin. And it's not just the individual things that we do or think or feel or express. It's literally the nature of who we are. He says, that is in my sinful nature. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote arguably the most theological work of all time, Summa Theological, in the early centuries of Christianity, said this, anger is the name of a passion. And you know angry people who are pretty passionate about what they're angry about. He says this, a passion of the sensitive appetite. Y'all, we can be sensitive, let's be honest. It's good insofar as it is regulated by reason. Your passion is good when it's regulated by reason. Your passion is good when it's governed by biblical wisdom, but it's evil when it sets reason aside. So anger, in your notes this morning, is more than we make of it. And we know that straight up from the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, his longest discourse that's recorded for us in Scripture. He spoke a word about anger. You'll remember from the very first week of this series, I don't know how we started quite so big, but we went with lust, literally week one out of the gate. And we were reminded that in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus looked at a crowd and he says, hey, you know that the word says whoever commits adultery has sinned. But he says, if you've looked at someone with lust that's the same as committing adultery. And we can understand the same truth that comes from this same passage in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus looks around and says, hey, you know that murder is wrong. That's in the top 10. Like, you shall uh, remember the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, do not steal, do not lie, and do not murder. That's in the top 10. But he's basically saying, hey, <laughs> listen to this. I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to that same judgment. That, that same wrath, that same judgment as murder. Our anger is more than we make of it in this life. And we want to understand what those scriptures say and what they mean for us. How many of you heard the expression, you don't have to show me your hands because I know that you all did. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That's a lot. I don't know who told us this. Words hurt worse. Those kind of bruises, those kind of lacerations, those kind of injuries do not heal quickly. They last a really long time beneath the surface of our lives. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words are worse. They do worse damage, and they have longer effects. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger, and it's a perpetual stirring. It's literally the tornado and the two-liter bottles stacked on top of each other. Some of you guys have done that as a science experiment where you put two of them together, and you shake up the water, and you can watch the funnel, and it keeps on spinning. That's what harsh words do. They continue to spin the anger around in our lives over and over and over and over again, and we have to ask the question if we're ever going to talk about anger— why are we so angry? Like, why uh, as a society are, are, are we in general so mad? There's a couple of different answers. They're not exhaustive, but I do think they're all inclusive. The first is overreaching entitlement. We just somehow think that we deserve it. Like, I don't have to tell you that people are angry. I don't have to tell you that people are entitled. You have social media for that. 
It, it, it lets us know all the time that everybody out there literally has put themselves in the seat of authority in life to where they deserve to be treated a certain way. I like to put this in the column called, How Dare You? How dare you world around me inconvenience me? How dare you challenge me? How dare you disagree with me? That level of entitlement has no place in the life of the committed follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lead Pastor Jeff Simmons got an email last week um, from somebody who's been tracking along with this series. He's a county leader, and I won't say which county, and he wrote these words. I've enjoyed this series, and I suspect that wrath is next, and I just wanted to convey something that I've heard repeatedly in Blank County lately, and it saddens me deeply. We are displaying an unusually high degree of wrath towards our frontline workers, including servers, waitstaff, healthcare workers, and teachers. I have story after story after story of, frankly, evil behavior from people in our community towards those who serve. A few months ago, the new Blank medical center CEO told me that his staff is fragile because of the repeated abuse of people that they are caring for. I had coffee with a friend a few weeks ago whose company operates restaurants in the blank region, and she told me that the worst behavior from patrons is always in blank county locations. Finally, and most importantly, our teachers are dealing with abuse in levels that they have never seen. A blank middle school teacher, completely unprompted, said that he has had more parent complaints in the last six months than he had in the entire six years as a teacher prior, and this wasn't an exaggeration because he counted. It's an entitled attitude to look out at the rest of the world and think to ourselves, how dare they behave? How dare they infringe? How dare they inconvenience me? It just means I'm in the wrong room, sitting in the wrong seat, daring the rest of the world to question anything about me. Uh, Another reason is ultimately unmet expectations. Like we just want it. And we just feel like we have to have it. And when we don't get it, we're like the child in Target who throws themselves down on the floor, kicking and screaming because we didn't somehow get our way. We desire it. And whether it's right desire or not, we have to put that in the column of God knows what we need before we need it. And he takes care of what is right. And it's a long list of overreaching entitlement and unmet expectations that are literally creating a culture of people who free will lose their minds if something doesn't go their way. And finally, I just put lack of better skills. Just, just lack of better skills. It, it's a learned behavior. Over time, it, it would seem as if those angry outbursts accomplished something in life. Getting angry got me what I want, and so I learned that if I get angry again, I can get what I want again. It's a, a learned behavior. Maybe your parents said this to you when you were little-minded because I grew up in the Deep South. Um, they said, oh, they just don't know any better. Did you hear that? Oh, sweetie, you would come home and you would complain about another child in your class doing something that was completely aggressive or obnoxious, and and your mom would look at you and say, oh, sweetie, they just don't know any better. Basically inviting you to overlook the behavior, and basically that was just every Southern's mom's way of saying their parents didn't raise them right like I raised you, sweet boy. (laughs) They don't know. Well, the, the truth is, mom was right. People don't know better. They don't know that there's a better way to respond. They don't know that there's a better way to behave. They don't know that there's a better way to speak. And even if we show that it to them, they may not acknowledge that his way is a better way. And this is what we need 
to learn and to understand, regardless of whether or not we feel we have reason to be angry, reason to be frustrated, reason to support whatever outreach. Reasons don't equal rights. Reasons, regardless of how good they are, do not equal rights. Psalm 37, 8 says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It's a don't argue, don't invoke, don't incite. It only leads to evil. So the thing that you're angry about, the thing that you're frustrated about, the person that you're, that you're, that you're dealing with, even if you're right in the moment, an angry outburst only makes things wrong. Sometimes because we're so into this idea of Enneagram or any of the other personality types or, or how I'm wired or what that means about me. You know you've heard it. Maybe even you've said it. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be rude. That was just, you know, I'm just being an eight. You're not being an eight. That's hate. And none of our numbers, regardless of what they say about us and regardless of the truths that they reveal about who we are and how God shaped us, are an invitation to be rude or to be unkind or to be disrespectful to others. Sometimes when we have a conversation about anger, we want to say, but wait a minute, didn't Jesus get angry? Yep, and if he did, then don't I have a a right to? Yes, Scripture does say that Jesus experienced anger. In Mark chapter 3, he's looking around at a crowd, and and it's over a, a man who needed desperately to be healed. He looked around at them in anger. Scripture literally says anger, and that's the same word for anger that we see later on in Ephesians as the apostles are writing about the idea of don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's the same word that we see depicted for us in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is talking about our anger towards one another. He looked around them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. There were certainly things about Jesus that were frustrating him in the world that he lived in. The point is that there's a right time and a right place and a right seat and a right person to occupy it, and only Jesus Jesus is the one, because regardless of what he did and regardless of when he did it, he was always in the right place, always at the right time, always in the right seat, always behaving in the right manner. Well, what about that day that he walked into the temple courts and he saw the money changers and he was really frustrated with what they're doing, so he, he turned over all the tabers. Wasn't that, wasn't that violent, angry behavior? If you know what was happening in the temple that time period, The temple was divided into certain courts and only certain people could advance to certain levels. There was a place where only the priests could go. There was a place where only like covenant Jewish men could go. There was a place where only covenant Jewish women could go. And outside beyond that, there was a place where Gentiles, foreigners, us, where we would be allowed to go, where we would be allowed to stand, where we would be allowed to to see the thing that God is and the thing that God does in the lives of people. And anybody with any kind of biblical sense would go all the way back to Isaiah. It's not going to pop on your screens, but I'll read from chapter 56 when it says, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath. And make no mistake, if it's mentioning a eunuch in scripture, it's mentioning somebody who was a Gentile, somebody who was on the outside, somebody who was not permitted to be on the inside. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple, not outside my temple, but within my temple and its walls, a memorial and a name better than the the sons and daughters. You mean I'm going to be included not just in the family, but in the the innermost parts of the family. 
I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. If the Bible, make no mistake, is mentioning the idea of foreigners. It's mentioning non-Jewish people, people that were on the outside, people that were kept at arm's length from seeing and observing who God is and what he was capable of. It says, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. So you know that Jesus walks in the the week before he was arrested, the week before he was tried, the week before he was convicted, the week before he was executed. He walks in and he sees the, the money changers in the court of the Gentiles, the court of the foreigners, where all of the outsiders were allowed to be. And they're price gouging people and they're robbing people and they're abusing people. And he gets so frustrated in the moment and he overturns the tables and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And anybody who knew Isaiah 56... They knew the reference. Oh, Jesus is mad. Because we kept the outsiders out instead of allowing the outsiders in. Fast forward after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, after he came back and spent some time with his disciples and called them to ministry. He ascended back into heaven and the Holy Spirit of God was unleashed on people and they began to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And and those Gentiles, those people that had previously been on the outside, they are coming to faith in Christ by the thousands. And the Jews had to sit down and debate, wait a minute, how do we let them in? What do we make them obey? What do we make them follow? What do we make them do? What do we make them swear? And so they had a council in Jerusalem. It's written down for us in Acts chapter 15 and James the brother of Jesus is there and he says this it is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God don't make it hard for people to see who God is don't make it hard for people to see how Christ loves If there was anything that angered Jesus then and anything that I believe angers Jesus today, it's when we, who are on the inside, make it really hard for people on the outside to see and acknowledge Jesus. And ain't nothing going to make people on the outside see him less than a whole bunch of angry, entitled I deserve it, I desire it, people in here. We make it hard for people on the outside to see Jesus. He got angry then. I I do believe that he gets angry now, righteous anger. The kind of anger that Jesus would have exhibited in that moment, right anger and right response to what frustrated him. Righteous anger moves us toward action. It moves us to do something about the thing that we're angry about. And make no mistake, it's not do something on our behalf to get our way. It's do something on someone else's behalf to accomplish God's way. Mark 3, 5 continues. He said to the man, the man that needed healing, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Jesus' anger over the stubborn hearts and the disbelief of all the people around him who were making it hard for the man on the outside to be one of the people on the inside. He literally did something about it. And make no mistake, when we do something about the things that we're angry about, they will always be in service to others, not just for our own selfish desires. Several years ago, it was around Christmas time, pre-COVID. You know, that's how we mark our lives now, pre-COVID, post-COVID. It's years ago. I was talking to the campus pastor of our Nolansville campus. He's been my best friends for a long time, and he was looking on the page of their campus to 
promote out in the community the Christmas Eve services that they had and wanted to make sure that everybody was invited to come. And he, he noticed a post on the Knowlesville 411 page that talked about Dollar General being open on Christmas Eve. Y'all know some places are open on Christmas Eve, some places are open on Christmas Day, and somebody made a post, a really angry one, about how they could not believe that Dollar General was open that late, like late into the evening on Christmas Eve. And then it just started, and he got sucked into all the comments and reading over and over and over what everybody said. People were mad. People were throwing other people under the bus. People were so angry and indignant, like, how dare Dollar General be open on Christmas Eve? And then somebody said, well, what about the workers? Oh, the poor workers who have to be there late on Christmas Eve. Can't they be with their families? Well, nobody actually checked to see if they had a family that they wanted to be with for Christmas. They might have wanted to be at work on Christmas Eve. No, no, oh, well, what about the, what about the, oh, well, the single mom. Let's just talk, oh, Sandy, she can't be home with her kid. Well, what if Sandy just wanted to make extra money because Christmas Eve is time and a half? Like, nobody checked with Sandy. Like, or what if she didn't observe Christmas because she wasn't part of a religious tradition? Wouldn't all the hours that were spent commenting and angrily ranting over the fact that Dollar General was open on Christmas Eve been better spent going to Dollar General on Christmas Eve and taking Sandy a prize? <laughs> Or going and buying the thing that you forgot because you knew you forgot something overall for the meal that you were going to have the next day. And, and, and showing up with uncharacteristic kindness. Like, like maybe, maybe made up Sandy, who's working at the Dollar General late on Christmas Eve, didn't need somebody to rescue her. Maybe she just needed somebody to be kind to her. And maybe all of the energy that we spend being angry about so many things in the world could be channeled into doing something nice for somebody else to make it easier for them to see that there's a God in heaven who made them and a Christ who was willing to die for them so that they could experience love from him. Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense. You are like, good sense. The thing about common sense is that it's not that common. Most people don't have it. This is good sense. This is different. Good sense makes one slow to anger. Long views, big, none of that zero to 60 mess, but like good sense makes it slow for us to get angry. Takes us a while to get there. And it is his glory. You can read the word award. You can read the word reward. It is his glory to overlook an offense. It's his glory to overlook an offense. My little boy Simon is playing on rec league basketball team, third graders. And y'all, we love it. We love it when the refs cut the kids some slack because, you know, they're just learning. And it's okay that Simon double dribbled before he went up and made that layup. Let the points count. Don't blow the whistle. Just overlook that. We love it when the refs overlook the things that our boys do. But y'all, I'm up in that stands yelling foul anytime some of the other team does something to one of. We love it when the Lord overlooks our offense but we're going to help him out and do him a solid when he begins to overlook the offenses of all the other people out there in the world. It's our glory. It's, it's an award. It's a reward to, to overlook the offense of others. Righteous anger moves us towards right action in the, the right way, but unrighteous anger, it just buries us deep in aggression. It, it buries us deep in aggression. It covers us up in things that we just can't get out of. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, 
in your anger, it doesn't say that you'll never have anger as a believer in Jesus Christ, but in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a place. We're a society that's so easily offended. We have a really big column when it comes to how dare you in life, how dare you challenge me, how dare you chastise me, how dare you correct me, how dare you disagree with me, how dare you inconvenience me, and I will rip you a new one if any of those things happen in life when in fact people may not even be thinking about me. People may not even be thinking about me. The problem is when we're angry, usually not the thing that we're angry about. The problem is how we relay that to the rest of the world. And it's even worse when we're angry about something right, angry about something that should bother us, angry about something that, that, that should incite us. When we go about it the wrong way, when we go about it the aggressive way, when we go about it the tear other people down way, we really negate the thing that we're angry about in the first place. Wrath, when it's human wrath, when it's Nick Allen wrath, it, it refuses redemption in your life and in your relationships. Wrath ultimately refuses to believe that God can, in fact, make all things right. James, the same James that was there in Acts, who was saying, hey, we shouldn't make it hard for, for people to come to faith in God. He writes in his letter, James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Your mom ever say to you, that's why the Lord gave you two ears and one mouth, because he wants you to listen twice as much as you talk? You ought to know that was from the Bible. Like, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. Have a really big on-ramp before you lose it. Have a really big on-ramp. Count to 1,000 before you get there because human anger, James writes, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. At the end of the day, our angry outbursts are really a discipleship issue. How well do we know God and his word, and how willing are we to lay down ourselves in order to accomplish his will and his word in our lives? Bitterness and anger begin to cover us up when we don't let things go, when we don't overlook the offenses of others. How many of y'all know what kudzu is? You know, it came around in the early 1900s because somebody brought it over here and they started doing all kinds of experiments and they thought it was a good thing to begin to help the soil and to cover up areas where you needed to. But ultimately, we realized that it just takes over, and particularly in the southeast where the climate and the humidity were right. You can drive on I-85 south through Alabama and see kudzu on everything all of the shoulders, all of the hillsides, all of the trees, all of the green spaces are literally covered up by this reproducing vine that goes everywhere and it does damage. It's on the federal noxious weed list. Did y'all know we have a federal noxious weed list? It's a, it's a list of all the weeds that cause injury. Like bitterness, when it covers you up, anger that you can't let go of, it causes injury. It, it causes injury in your relationship with God. It causes injury in your relationship with others, and it does damage to your ability to communicate to other people how good God is, and when it's in your life, it makes it hard for people to see Jesus. It makes it hard for people to see what's on the inside. So all week long, I was asking myself a, a question. Does angry frustration in me you know, because this is a message, you know, for Nick Allen, about Nick Allen, to Nick Allen. 
like some of y'all don't need it. You're coming on the end of Daniel chapter five because you've just been reading and taking notes about other things because you don't need to learn about anger. That's okay, I do. I've been asking myself all week this question, does, does angry frustration in my life really stem from a lack of satisfaction in Christ? Does it indicate that I'm not fully satisfied in Jesus when I'm really frustrated with the world? And all these words that we've been talking about this whole series from from wrath into this opposite word that we want God to to birth and to breathe and, and to bring into our lives this week, it's delight. If you look up wrath online and you try to figure out, oh, these are, uh, these are the synonyms for the word wrath and these are the antonyms for the word wrath, the, the number one antonym that comes up is delight. So what if the antonym is the antidote? What if the opposite of wrath is ultimately what we need more than anything. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says, love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. The, the ESV standard translation of scripture, I love the way it says, it says, outdo one another. Make it a competition in your relationships. Outdo one another in showing honor. This whole Greek word for delight in this passage of scripture, it's proegiomai, like it means to show preference, it means to go before, it means to show the way, it means to lead, it means to consider, it means to deem, it means to think. It literally means to put others first, to think about other people, to consider their needs, to consider their lives. Take delight in honoring, considering, serving other people. Delight, what we know, is that it deepens our roots and ultimately it bears fruit. When our delight is Christ, it it, it deepens our roots in him, and and it bears fruit. Psalm chapter 1 talks about delight. It it talks about the man who's blessed because of the Lord, whose delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree that's planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season. That word delight in the Hebrew Old Testament of Scripture is shefetz, and it literally means desire. It means longing. It means good pleasure. And you put those two things together, understanding the word delight, here's what it means. It means it is my desire. It is my longing. It is my good pleasure to think of other people. It is my desire, my longing, my pleasure to consider the needs of other people. It is my desire, my longing, my pleasure to put my feet in the shoes of other people. And that doesn't happen on its own. That doesn't happen because all of a sudden I make a decision to quit getting angry and to start treating people better. It doesn't happen on its own because I go home and I make a list or because I count to 10 or because I just try harder in life. It literally only comes because the Holy Spirit of God by the power of Jesus alive in my life transforms me from the inside out to where I start to look more like Jesus. When we talk about fruit, we go with our kids to Galatians chapter 5 and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and we'll often say, hey, which fruit of the Spirit do you need to work on more? Usually it's which fruit of the Spirit, Daddy, do you need to work on more? It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I like to underline self-control, and it says against such things there is no law. You don't have to make up rules against love. You don't have to make up rules against joy. You don't have to make up rules against peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control. Like, we have to make rules to enforce those things because they don't happen on their own. They are only born by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Once we trust Jesus for salvation, we get a gift of the Holy Spirit that will literally bear that kind of fruit in our lives. So much anger in the world. So much of it is 
the result of being in the wrong room and putting ourselves in the wrong seat, thinking that somehow we're in the right place and everybody else is wrong. And, and we just need to quietly get up like I did that day. Ooh, I just was like, how can I slip out of here? Just quietly get up, grab our things, and move to a different spot. And allow God to start working in us to develop the things of Jesus in us so that we can be different people, so that we can be in the right spot, in the right seat, from the right frame of mind, with the right posture that will grow us and grow Christ in us to where when other people look at us, there aren't all these barriers from seeing Jesus, but there's only a pathway to see how very much God loves them and desires to include them. Today starts with just picking a different seat. Walking in a different room and saying, hey, I don't want to be stuck there anymore. It's not the right place for me. When it comes to authority, when it comes to justice, when it comes to making all the wrong things right in the world, I'll leave that to Jesus, and, and I'll go in a different room, and I'll just allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in me and to birth in me the things that only He can. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for the chance to be in this place, the chance to open up your word and to see how very much it says about who we are, and to be reminded in these moments that the thing you've called us to be is impossible on our own. There's no way we can do it. We need grace upon grace upon grace to know you better and to trust you more. And the only way that we're going to live lives with our anger in check, the only way that we're going to live lives full of all of those good fruits is if you do it in us. So today, God, we just surrender that part of our will that wants it our way, and we ask Christ Jesus that you would make things your way. Father, help us to be a people who are only angry about the things that you're angry about and willing to sacrificially live our lives to do something about it in your time and in your way not our own. We love you, Jesus, and we tell you thank you for who you are and for what you've done and for what you desire to do in our lives. It's in your name that we pray today. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it or share it with some friends. You can also check out some of our other great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit us at our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful for you.